It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Hello and welcome into the Sunflower State Recruiting Podcast sponsored by 24-7 Sports. My name is Michael Swain. I am the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. I am joined by Ryan Wallace who covers Kansas State for GoPowerCat.com and Kevin Flaherty who works for our national side on 24-7 Sports. We thought we'd start a local recruiting centric podcast to discuss all things going on in the Sunflower State from the top players in the class to other guys who might be more fringe division one talents. We'll discuss it all. This first podcast, we'll talk a lot about kind of the top 2024 members, the guys who are going to go play at some of the power five schools. And then as the summer goes on, we'll really work our way through the 2024 class, 2025 and beyond. I hope you get the gist of it. So first off, Ryan, I'll let you introduce yourself. I know we're kind of in the middle of summer now. Things are heating up, but how are you doing, Ryan? I'm doing good, Michael. And I'm, I'm excited that we're finally doing this. You know, this trio has been talking about <laughs> doing a recruiting podcast for uh, at least a year. You know, I've been trying to pitch it uh, to Tim Fitzgerald over at GoPowerCut.com as well. And it, it just never seemed to have like the right uh, mixture that we needed to really make it work. And I think this is a really good concept that will cover literally the entire state into Kansas city. Um, It'll get both fan bases engaged and, and give them some knowledge into hopefully some insight without going into too much VIV detail. Um, But yeah, excited. June is, is heating up right now. So my life as a recruiting editor is about to get silly. Oh yeah. Silly season is here, Ryan. I totally understand that as a, as a one man band covering Kansas and obviously Kevin and I do a Kansas football specific podcast and Kevin, I know we recorded what, maybe a week or two ago, but since then, how have the combines and summer treating you? Yeah. You know, things are, uh, things are going pretty well at this point. I think uh, silly season's a good explanation for it because uh, I think, you know, at some of these combines, you talk to guys and you kind of, get an impression that maybe they're leaning one way and and two days later you you find out you're you're absolutely wrong or somebody has uh has changed their mind but i i do mm-hmm. think you know as somebody who's who's covered recruiting around the state probably longer than i'd like to admit uh it, it it's nice that we have a lot of the con a lot of the combines and camps and things that we do have now where we can get out and and see these guys, it, it's so much easier than it was, you know, in 2005 or 2006, where you felt like, Hey, maybe there's four guys in the state of Kansas who were a big 12 caliber player. You just didn't know about them. And, and now you can go in and see these guys, not just, you know, before they turn, you know, and, and become seniors, but a lot of these guys, Ryan and Michael, we've been watching for, for years we've seen them when they were sophomores or we saw them you know at camps after their freshman year or after their sophomore season so it makes it a lot easier to become more familiar with these guys 
100%. And I think one of the guys we've seen this summer, at least, and the first guy we're going to talk about is someone that's really kind of taken the scene by storm. Um, and that's Gavin Hoffman from Blue Valley Northwest. I mean, you look at when we went to Blue Valley Northwest, the high school, right back in what was that, maybe April or March, you know, he had a couple offers. And now since he did a Missouri camp, things have really hit the next level in terms of his recruitment, um, picked up several power five offers. It seems like everybody in the big 10 and even Arkansas and the sec Missouri locally as well has offered him. And so he's someone I think you look at being probably the biggest riser so far. And I think a lot of this stems from his camp at Missouri, where he had a 40 inch vertical, uh, a 10, four broad and a four, five, five, 40, all wall at six foot five, 225 pounds. Kevin, I'll go to you first here. I guess when you saw him at person and then you saw him again at UC report, just what have been some of the things that have stood out and just what have you thought about his recruitment and the way it's unfolded? Yeah. Well, Ryan and I actually saw him at Mill Valley seven on seven last year. And, you know, he was somebody that, uh, that we said, my gosh, look, look at that guy. That's a, that's a good looking kid. And he was, he was playing wide receiver, not tight end. And if you remember, uh, Blue Valley Northwest had a, had a kid who was going to play tight end, you know, at the college level and Aiden Beamer, you know, on mm. that same team. And so we were kind of there watching Beamer, you know, Hoffman really struck the eye as a really good athlete for, for how tall he is. And, and, and I know Ryan, you kind of, kind of talked to, to coach Ryder over there after that and, and asked him, Hey, what's this kid's story? And he says, he's got a lot of potential, but he, he hasn't played a lot of varsity football yet. And, you know, flat fast forward, you know, you see him some this fall, he does really well. The tape is good. You know, we saw him on, on kind of our Kansas city trip uh, when, when we went around and then at UC report, it felt like most of the tight ends there in, in Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but felt like they were more blocking centric type guys. So Gavin really stood out as a receiving tight end and a guy that can do a lot in the passing game. Yeah. I mean, the seven on seven camp that Kevin was referring to, I mean, not only did coach Ryder speak pretty highly of Gavin Hoffman, but a former big 12 tight end in Dayton Valentine, a Kansas state alum who is now on coach Ryder's staff spoke pretty highly of Gavin. And he was saying he's just, reaching he's just hitting the cusp of his potential as a basketball guy that we're starting to really morph mentally into a football player and then even in the winter you know I I was out watching uh, Jordan Allen who's signed with K-State at a basketball tournament and Jamar Mosey was behind me who's the head coach at Lee Summit North and uh, we got to talking about some of his games and some of the teams that they played and uh, some of the best players that he thought they faced Gavin Hoffman was among like the top two or three guys that he mentioned as we're seeing a clip of him right here against the Broncos. So, I mean, Gavin, Gavin's the real deal. The question has always been, okay, we know he's an athlete. We know he's going to leap, you know, uh, leap over anybody that tries to to cover him. Um, Not only just because of his size, but again, the basketball background, the question has always been, you know, is, is he a receiver? Is he a tight end? And I think Mm -hmm. Kevin, the more you and I saw him, uh, we've seen him now at UC Report. I also saw him at the 810 varsity camp. Um, he's definitely morphed into a tight end. His body is capable of carrying that weight. So now the question has become, okay, well, can he be a multifaceted tight end? And Swain, as you said, at the Lindenwood camp, it seems like every Power 5 coach that was there, certainly from the Big Ten, um, basically stamped their approval. He can be uh, a multifaceted tight end. 
Well, and when you look at his frame, right, in person, and maybe it doesn't show it so much on the tape, but he's just got that frame that you see he can add on the weight. And you mentioned it being concerned. I think the fact that he's up to 220 pounds right now is really encouraging because if you think about him playing in the Big Ten, right, maybe even the Big 12, we'll, we'll see. You look at him and you say probably 240 pounds, 245 pounds maybe if he can keep that athleticism. And already being 220, you think about maybe another year weights, what that could look like going into his freshman year of college. I think that's really impressive. And I think nowadays the ability to keep athleticism might be a little, I'm not sure if easier is the right word, but with the modern day strength conditioning coaches, right, it should be feasible. And you look at the recruitment, Ryan, I think this is a topic you've gone on your message board. And I know I've been asked about it before. Where are the in-state schools? You look at the offer list right now overall, right? It's got a lot of regional schools, right? Missouri, Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois came in, Arkansas, but no offer from Kansas or Kansas State. I know from the Kansas perspective, they've already got their tight end in this class and Carson Brunn. He committed uh, about a month or two ago, and basically KU's decided they're going to shut down tight end recruiting, and it doesn't really matter who is out there. They're just not going to go after guys right now. So that's why KU hasn't offered. Ryan, what do you think about the way K-State has really approached this? Well, I think they want to take a tight end in this class, despite the fact that they have Will Ancio and Andrew Metzger signed from the 2023 class. I still think, you know, knowing that Ben Sennett is going to be an upperclassman um, and then kind of still being on the fence with, you know, where Braden Lofton is. We've heard some encouraging things about Garrett Oakley, um, but obviously, you know, Connor Fox at the transfer portal. I still think they it's not a, uh, a high priority or as high a priority as it was in the 23 class. They still like to get one. I've seen Kansas State be very kind of at bay with Gavin Hoffman, and it's been that way since we talked to him in February. Michael, as you alluded to at Blue Valley Northwest, um, they're interested, but there's always been, it seems like, two things that have been the caveats, which is uh, weight, which I I think he's hit that plateau. Uh, Kansas Mm. State hasn't seen him in person. Uh, I believe he's scheduled to be at a camp um, this coming month. So I, I would imagine he's going to immediately check that box when they're able to put eyeballs on him again. And then the other big thing has for them has been, again, I talked about being multifaceted. Is he a blocker? Can he block? Um, Kansas State knows that he's, a, he's probably far and away uh, exceeded, um, other than maybe Will Ancio, he's probably ahead of where most of the guys that they have at tight end right now would be as a receiver um, at the same you know, time frame as a recruit. But the question is, can he block Kansas state wants to see him block. They want to get him in a camp, see how he can be coached, um, see how he can do head to head against guys that they want to see him block against. And so I think that's really what the holdup is here um, from Kansas state. The question then becomes guys, have you waited too long? Um, And, and that's my fear. That's what I addressed on our message boards. You know, when you've got a guy at blue Valley Northwest that has the upcoming names that the Huskies do, um, you know, we've seen them, both the in-state schools kind of be tepid with Mikey Pauly, um, maybe yep. be a little bit tepid with, with Grant Stubblefield and Aiden Beamer. Um, Stubblefield was more of a different story because he was primarily basketball. But, yeah. you know, do you want to do that again to Blue Valley Northwest? It'll be very, I'm very interested to see once Gavin Hoffman arrives at camp, how quickly K-State decides to pounce if they can even afford to wait that long. Yeah, and I think too, right, you think about what else they've got 
at, at Blue Valley Northwest, right? And Andrew Babaloa being kind of the big name right now, but also Trey Ridley, right? That's a guy that you know, also look at Kansas in terms of the you know, overall scholarship numbers at the position. They haven't offered, they've got other safeties they have ahead of the board. And it's one of those deals where I think the coaching staffs, maybe K State's the same way, where they're going to stick to their guns. And I think that's been the situation here with, with Hoffman. And look, as soon as you see Iowa come in for a tight end, especially one like this, for me, it's I'm always going to say, hmm, that's interesting. If Iowa thinks they can play for him and, and they've been tight end central lately, I think that's a pretty good indicator this kid can really play. Kevin, do you have any final thoughts? I, I was just going to say the Iowa thing I, I think is well put just because if you look at Iowa's sort of prototype of guys that they've had a lot of success with, it's Gavin Hoffman. You know, it, it's yep. that athletic guy that – that needs to add some weight you know you you look at a lot of the guys that they've had come through there have looked a, a lot like Gavin Hoffman and I, I think that's Ryan that's kind of the interesting thing for me with regard to K-State and all of this it feels like Gavin Hoffman is often he's the type of guy that Kansas State often goes after but not necessarily the guy who finds his way onto the field on Saturdays I, I feel like they, they wind up going and gravitating towards sort of more traditional, you know, hand-on-the-ground type guys when it comes down to it. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. They they prioritized, you know, Carson Brun was one of the guys that I think Kansas State really wanted. They offered him early. Kansas came in and got him. Um, but, again, he's kind of more the mold that, that you've seen them go after. I will say I, I think Will Ancio and Andrew Metzger – I think they might be the mold that Kansas State is trying to go towards. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a position they want to get more athletic at. We've seen how they used Ben Sennett last year. We saw how they started to use Sammy Wheeler once he was healthy. I think they want to go to more two tight end sets, and that requires getting more athleticism at that position. But as I say that, Swain, they still haven't offered Gavin Hoffman. <laughs> so that doesn't make sense either. So, again, I mean – this is a this is a crucial month, I think, for Gavin, not only to see kind of how many offers he can stack up, but in what order and then how quickly does he want to decide Is he a kid that says, you know what, I might be able to put some senior film out there yeah. and attract an even bigger audience or I'm, I'm happy with the regional schools that we have here and, and let's take it from here and shut it down before my senior year starts. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Timing, I feel like, is everything with a lot of these recruitments nowadays, right? You have to kind of weigh the transfer portal. Right. Considering the, the impact that has had on scholarship numbers, you have to weigh the tape you're going to be able to put out there. So I think Gavin Hoffman's got a really interesting decision headed his way. He's been the biggest riser probably of anyone in the state this spring. I think the guy we've known about for a long time now, Michael Boganowski, you know, he's one that I think you two have been able to see in person at least. Um, I've not been able to yet. He wasn't able to play at the UC report camp. Kevin, I'll start with you here on this one. I can talk about recruitment in a minute, but just in terms of the player right now, I think we all would agree he should be the number one player in the class. We'll see if that's the case at the end of the road. But when you look at his tape, Kevin, what are the things that you really like about Michael Boganowski? Well, he's a missile. I mean, he he's a modern day linebacker in terms of what you want to find. You know, that, that guy that you used to look for who's 230 pounds out of high school, that's, that's not the guy anymore. You want a guy who's six foot two, has some length to him, 200 to 210 pounds, really shows a lot of athleticism. And you say, hey, we can we can add 15 to 20 pounds to this guy once he gets here, but he's got to be able to move and he's got to be able to run. And when you look at Boganowski's tape, 
not only does he have the athleticism requisites that you look for, and you know some of the reports are that he's run in the four or five range at, at various camps or, or testing or things like that, but you see the way that he comes downhill, Ryan. I, I mean, he's there are some guys that when they move from safety to linebacker, you worry about the physicality. Boganowski's not a guy that you worry about that at all. They, this guy is not afraid to put his face mask through somebody. Well, and he's the type of player, guys, that I feel like, uh, and this is why you've seen KU and K-State uh, covet him so high this entire cycle, is he's a guy that, that Kevin mentioned. We saw him at the Sharp Performance uh, Top Prospect uh, Camp, and he, he didn't participate, but he was there to do some interviews, and it, it allowed us to see him in person, because I still have yet to see him play. Um, but we got to see lay eyes on him and he's the type of kid who, as you said, is probably 200, 205 pounds, maybe closing in on 210. who knows, yep. but could easily right now put on weight. And so naturally you're thinking, okay, well the, then in college, he's going to rotate down to linebacker. I think he still might be able to play with more weight at safety if you needed him to, depending on the scheme. Um, and I think again, getting back to K state's pursuit of him, I think that's why he has been the number one player on their board. Again, not just from Kansas. I think he has the, been the number one player on their board, regardless of position, regardless of state in this class. They have highly, highly prioritized him. You can tell in the way that they're having the other commitments, you know, really lean on him on social media. You've seen the staff take a full staff approach. They feel like they've really got a shot here, but at the same time, I think Boganowski has kept everybody on their toes. Uh, he's there. We, we've seen on his two four seven profile. K State and Oklahoma are both lin- mentioned as warmer, uh, and that might be the case. If I had to pick today, those would be the, the two schools that I would deem as favorites. But at the same time, uh, you know, he's reiterated time and time again his family as well that you know this is going to be his decision. Um, there's no outside influences. Uh, so as much as Kansas State wants to hang their hat on the fact that. Steve Stannard coached his father at New Mexico State. I definitely think that that helps that matters. You know, that, that's definitely a strong connection to have. Um, I, I definitely don't think this thing is over, and I, I'm not sure there's anybody in the driver's seat right now, Michael. No, I think it's one of these deals where so often, right, you talk about visits being the deciding factor. Well, I really do think that's going to be the case here. And you look at the visit list, right? It's pretty interesting. He starts off the month at Stanford, where he was last weekend. And then this weekend, he's going to go to Kansas, where they're equally recruiting him really hard, Um, I guess, positionally at KU. I think other schools are recruiting him as this hybrid safety linebacker. Well, KU just took one of those and Jonathan Kamara. And now the question is, all right, where does he fit? I'd argue Michael Boganowski can play Will linebacker for you, and you feel pretty good about that athletic ability. And if he can put on the weight to get 220, 225 feel really good about the ability he has and I wonder if that in the end could be a sticking point just in terms of the role right if KU has another guy in that position what does that look like for him there but then Florida State getting a visit and then I think right now Oklahoma and Kansas State are the two you look at Brent Venables right and I always come back to Isaiah Simmons in terms of a guy like this that's so athletic and can play that versatile kind of safety hybrid linebacker role, make plays all over the field. And in terms of a Trump card, recruiting a guy, being able to point to someone like Isaiah Simmons and say, Hey, I've coached a guy that fits your athletic profile, you know, maybe not necessarily mirroring, but in that same vicinity, I feel like that's gotta be something that really helps him out. So I think this is one where the visits will really, really determine it. 
I don't think you're right. I don't think if you had to place a crystal ball, I don't know if you could really pick one school right now that's out in front. It feels like maybe for me, there's probably two tiers here. I think, you know, K-State, Oklahoma are in the first tier. Then kind of your KU, Florida State, Stanford are, are probably under that. The one other thing that I'll throw out about Boganowski that I've kind of learned and and trying to read the tea leaves and and listen between each word, right, is I, I do think that regional – uh, geography will play a role. I don't think it's going to eliminate necessarily a Stanford or a Florida state. If he falls in love on those visits, like you said, but I do think it definitely helps K state KU and Oklahoma that, you know, the family will be able to make it to more than just one game or two games a year. Uh, mm -hmm. The other thing that I know for a fact is going to be huge. And again, he'll notice this on the visits right away because this was what kept Nebraska from getting an official visit from Michael Boganowski is mm. who's showing him the attention. Yeah. Who's actually, you know, put him at the top of the board and doesn't have him neck and neck with somebody else at the position who seems to really not only like want him, but need him. Um, mm. Nebraska, it sounds like didn't do that. Or when they tried to do it, it was too little too late. That's why you saw Florida state and Stanford up there. But on these visits, who's really shows him, um, how much of a priority and a need he is, I, I think that will really help lead him to to his school of choice. Yeah. Any final we, thoughts, Kevin, on, on Boganowski? I was just going to say we saw the Isaiah Simmons pitch work pretty well for Brent Venables with uh, with Jaron Canning. So, <laughs> yes. you know, and, and another guy that was, you know, a high school athlete that they wound up converting to linebacker. Um, I, I think Jaron was probably – always destined for, for linebacker. I mean, from a defensive position, whereas Boganowski, it sounds like Oklahoma has talked some about, you know, a safety hybrid type spot, but, but we've, uh, we've seen uh, Brent Venables hang pretty well on recruitments like this in the, uh, in the past. So I, and I, I it would not shock. It wouldn't shock me to see him not pick Oklahoma, but I do think that's a, that's a pretty good pitch to hit for Oklahoma. And I was going to finish with one more thing, Swain, pitching off or tag teaming off what Kevin just said, which is I think K-State would feel a lot better about where they are if it wasn't Brent Venables that was, you know, <laughs> yeah. supposedly, share, supposedly sharing that driver's seat. Because, again, his connections on defense, his roots to Kansas and that area haven't mm -hmm. gotten Jaron Canick. I mean, again, I think K-State has done a lot of good things with this recruitment, but they have not been able to take their foot off the gas simply because of everything Brent Venables is as a recruiter. Exactly. And I think, so the guy will switch now, uh, switch gears to BJ Kennedy, who I think yeah. this time last year, we probably thought was going to be the number one player in the class. Um, Ryan, I'll let you dive into maybe some of the injuries he's been dealing with, but Kennedy's one that I think you look at this time last year, we felt like if he had a good junior season would be on track to be the number one overall player in the state it hasn't turned out like that. And I think this is one of those situations where you just feel bad. Sometimes bad luck comes your way and you get injured in both your feet. Ryan, can you, can you kind of right. fill us in here? I know you talked to him most recently, so fill us in on, on what's going on. Yeah, it's a weird situation. I mean, his sophomore tape obviously jumps off at you um, because of his size and his frame played quarterback for Topeka high um, did some tight end, some defensive line, which is where I think we're all in agreement um, his future is best at, um, yeah. but ended up, uh, it sounds like he kind of injured, uh, his foot going into probably about this time last year. 
never really fully healed. We get to the season opener when they played uh, hosted Mays and Avery Johnson. He was in a boot. I was at that game. He thought he might be able to get back, um, ended up coming back, playing four games, then said, you know what, I can't go on it anymore. Started looking into doc with doctors again and realizing, oh, it's actually, you know, worse than what we thought it was. And it might be in both feet. Um, and so it ended up just where he literally has not been able to do anything really uh, up until this point. We saw him at Sharp uh, in Salina last week. Kevin and I did. Had a chance to speak with him. He was dying to get out on the field. He told me he hopes to be and plans to be. Doctors believe he will be ready to go as a, quote, you know, full participant, full go by middle of this month. Um, and I, his, everything I think about his recruitment rests on that. Um, if he can go at camps later this month, uh, I think that would be wise. And I think he'll try to do that. If not, this is going to be an interesting recruitment where it sounds like really the only team that's full bore doesn't matter right now. Uh, they would take him as is, is Cal. And he's going to go out on an official visit there. Uh, I believe this summer, but other than that, it sounds like Kevin, everybody's really at bay right now. It'll be one of those situations where. Uh, if his senior tape pops those first four weeks, mm. uh, everybody is going to be right back where they were this time of year ago for BJ. Yeah, and you can pretty much take his junior tape and just deposit it in the garbage because that wasn't BJ Kennedy. You know, that it just he wasn't healthy. That wasn't who he was. That wasn't who he expected to be. And I think, you know, when you see a guy as a sophomore in high school, that's so far from a finished product, right, guys? And, and so you wanted to see him take these steps as a junior and say, okay, this is a really nice play. Let's see a little bit more of this. We just haven't seen it in, in so long at this point, you know, from a camp standpoint, from a game standpoint, from a health standpoint. And, and that makes it so tough. And, and Ryan, when we were talking to him at Sharp, you know, he said he was 255, 260, I think. One of the interesting things I thought that he said was, he's not trying to get bigger. And, and I think that most of us feel like his future is probably at least as a four eye, if not, you know, a three, a, a straight defensive tackle. He's got that frame with the way he moved as a sophomore. You know, he, he was not a super twitched up individual for an outside guy. And so you start to project him further inside. And he was saying that he, you know, his first sort of thing when, when he's able to get back on the field is he wanted to lose 10 or 15 pounds. He wanted to get down to 240, 245 and try and prove that, that he can play on the outside. And, and he's more that type of a player. And, and so I think that's going to be an interesting thing too, is the body type and, you know, how that conditioning and, and working on his body process, how all of that goes, because again, we just, I, I realize it's, it's a broken record at this point. We just we just haven't seen him in so long that that his senior year is really going to dictate. And Ryan, like you said, if he's able to go to camps and and actually be some version of himself, it's really going to dictate. Hey, is this a guy that somebody tries to sneak in, hoping that hey maybe that magic is in there somewhere, or is this a guy that everybody sees it and all of a sudden everybody jumps back in the wagon? I, I think you look at this too, right? And I, I'm so curious about the position long-term, right? We mentioned all being in green and said, okay, defensive line is the spot, but where, what type of scheme, right? Kansas yeah. was recruiting him to be kind of a three tech defensive tackle. 
And yeah. I think what you saw on his sophomore tape was someone that could do that. But based on, like you said, the junior tape, it doesn't really line up, of course, because he was hurt. So you can't really read into that. But also you have to wonder, okay, if he's going to lose weight, what does that projection look like? And obviously getting healthy is going to be the biggest thing for him. But for me, I'm so fascinated to see what it looks like at the next level for him. If it's going to be as kind of a defensive end in a three-man front like Kansas State, or is it a, a defensive tackle at a place like Kansas? I don't think he's going to have the athletic twitch, especially after foot injuries. And I think you have to mention the fact that right, he's a six foot five guy that now has two foot injuries, just long term right. health. It's hard not to read into that. So is he going to be able to have that same burst? And I just look at this and say, if he does pop those first few weeks, I think you'll see a lot of schools go back to him. But I just it's all about getting healthy. And I think those camps that if he's able to do camps, I think those are going to go a long way in determining what this recruiting landscape looks like in the fall. I'll, I'll say this for the Kansas fans out there. I think he's really intrigued by Kansas. And I think 100%. that to this, to this point, they've done a phenomenal job recruiting him. Um, mm-hmm. He was, I dare I say giddy um, when he <laughs> saw Lance Leipold show up at, at the sharp uh, top prospect. Um, just again, being able to see him, uh, they didn't talk, but, he was just excited to be able to see, oh, Coach Leipold's here. Um, he's talked with, uh, and you guys will have to help me here. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but the uh, the walk-on running back from Topeka High that's at KU. Yeah, um, Tylen Alejos, I believe. Yes. Um, so they've spoken. Um, so he's got a connection there. He's obviously um, tight with the Kai Thomas's family. Um, I know it didn't work out there, but again, there's there's connections where – Kai's been a part of that, uh, of, of what's being built in Lawrence. And so uh, I'll be honest right now, you know, if, if you had to say, okay, we'll pick one of these, since we're talking about in-state recruiting, pick between one of these two schools between KU and K-State right now, if you had to for BJ Kennedy, I, I think he would favor KU. The only thing is going back to what you said, Swain, which is position. He, I don't think he sees himself as an interior defensive lineman that we see it that could be six, yep. five, 285 just you know bum rushing the pocket I think he sees himself as a true D end um, and that when push comes to shove uh, will he you know cement himself as that's what I'm looking to do in college or yeah I really like a place like KU I'll trust their word that maybe they'll use me in a variety of ways very well yeah I think that's a broader point maybe we can discuss it in one of these podcasts later on (laughs) right the decision I think a lot of recruits have to make Right. Do I do I compromise the position I want to play to go to the the school I want to go to? And I think a lot of times that's a tough decision guys have to make. Kevin, again, I'll let you have the last word here on BJ before we move to another big guy. Yeah, I don't think it's a secret that BJ grew up a KU fan. He went to Kansas three times this past season. I talked with him at Sharp a little bit about that and and just sort of what it was like to to go to the first game of the season have a a solid crowd, but not even sold out, then be there for Duke with a sold out crowd, then be there when college game day is there. You know, he kind of got to see that, that stair step and it all happened really quickly. And, you know, you could see some of the excitement there. Uh, Even beyond that, I I think all three of us can admit we're rooting for BJ to, to put it together and be healthy because he is a really good kid. And, and, you know, whether that's, Kansas, Kansas State, Stanford, where his sister is a baller in softball. <laughs> yes. Um, it, wherever he winds up going, you know, we're, we're hoping for the best for that kid. 100%. And so another big guy in this class who 
you know, we talked about Boganowski and his recruitment. I think for me, the guy with the most interesting recruitment is Caden Massey. Um, Kevin, I think you maybe hinted at him a little bit <laughs> earlier um, with your comments about talking with someone and maybe having a visit change. Um, that visit is Kansas. He was slated to visit Kansas this weekend for an official visit. He ended up canceling and will now go to Ole Miss. Um, some backstory yeah. on this. He's been to Kansas multiple times sure. and feels like he's seen it enough, which I can understand, right? He's been on campus, I think, two, three times for game day, was back for junior day, he went back for spring practice, met the chancellor, did a lot of stuff. Well, Jake Schoonover is now at Ole Miss, and, and, and yep. Jake worked on the Kansas staff, was actually going to be the director of kind of local high school recruiting at Kansas before he took a job at Arkansas State. So he's got connections to Kansas high school coaches. He has come in, really helped Ole Miss get in the mix for Caden Massey, get him on campus this weekend for an official visit. He will then go see Nebraska before he goes and sees Oklahoma, and then Kansas State gets the last visit. I'm fascinated by this one because I think you should look at the offer list, right? It's it's just a whole kind of hodgepodge of schools, right? Michigan State came in and offered and made his top group. You've got Ole Miss and SEC school. You've got the Big 12 schools in for him. I'm really interested to see how this recruitment shakes out because I wouldn't pick a, a leader right now. I wonder if Oklahoma might be hard to turn down for him. You know, Oklahoma has prioritized him. Um, Ryan, I'll start with you here. K-State's pursuit of him. What does it kind of look like? Because I feel like Kansas, in terms of we're talking trends, right, who's kind of trending up, trending down, feels like Kansas is probably trending down. They're probably moving on to some other targets here. So where does Kansas State stand? Well, it's been a weird one for Kansas State to try and navigate, honestly, because on one hand, they, they really like Caden Massey. You've seen, again, like they've done with Michael Boganowski, kind of sending the dogs on Caden Massey from all the recruits, uh, tagging him, you know, you're next, when, when are you coming, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then on the other hand, they've had to navigate the fact that uh, during this process, they've picked up two offensive tackle commitments already in this class and not just, you know, six, four offensive tackles. I mean, guys that look already, if you're talking about Ryan Howard, like Caden Massey, who's, you know, Ryan Howard, I think is six, six, 300 plus. And then a guy uh, like Gus Hawkins, who's six, six, uh, I think he's right around up to 270 now. But again, you know, Connor Riley is a, a very much an offensive line coach that is once with the five best guys on the field, when you come into Kansas state, you're going to learn all five positions um, mm -hmm. so that, you know, he can rotate you as he sees fit. So it, by all means, I'm sure that Kansas State is going about this as, yes, we have two guys that are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, that are listed as offensive tackles on every recruiting site, you know, but they might not end up at offensive tackle. You might not end up at, uh, at offensive tackle. But at the same time, if you're Cade Massey, I think as a 17-year-old kid, it's hard sometimes to, you know, is that true? You know, I mean, am I going to get myself into a three-horse race here? Uh, so that's been a really, I think, tricky situation for them. The fact that they have the final visit, uh, it's definitely a good thing. Everybody would always like to have the last word. Um, but I, I'm with you, Swain. I'm, I'm curious to see what, what Kevin can expand on this. Uh, Oklahoma and Nebraska there being uh, the type of uh, – blue mm -hmm. chip programs I, I know our our fan bases will you know probably get into <laughs> you know is nebraska blue chip but you know historically speaking to have two blue chip programs that are really prioritizing you um you know i i, I wonder if his focus 
might be slightly tilted that way more so than an Ole Miss and a K-State. Mm-hmm. There you go, Ryan's Twitter mentions, you know, just like that. But <laughs> there uh, we go. But but no, I it, it's interesting because you know I I talked to him and and at the time he had kind of revealed his, his five visits, you know, in, in Kansas was one of them. And I came out of that, and Ryan and I were both talking, and we said, you know, out of those five, I don't think any of them would have surprised us. Like if he would have picked K right. State, don't think it would have surprised us. KU wouldn't have surprised us. You know, I don't know that you can say there's a favorite, but in Oklahoma or Nebraska really wouldn't surprise at all for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned it. And so I think it's a recruitment that's really hard to gauge in terms of where he's sitting, what he's thinking. Um, I I get going to Ole Miss. I I really do like uh, like Swain has said. I mean, he's he's been to Kansas a whole bunch and, and, you know, having seen that, but if you look at it from Kansas's point of view, I feel like it's almost hard to s- s- look at it and say that that's not a blow to Kansas. You know what I mean? Like that it's, that it's not a negative toward Kansas, even if he has seen it before, just because, Hey, if this is your top school and you've been there a whole bunch of times, you're probably going to go back anyway. You're going to maybe yeah. knock somebody else off that isn't as high among those top four or five schools. And so uh, I do think Kansas may be trending in the wrong direction a little bit here. Kane's uh, a, a good kid too. And he was really mm-hmm. impressive, I thought, uh, when we saw him at UC Report. It was an event that I'm going to be 100% frank with you and, and both of you guys know I, I said this beforehand – given Caden's competition level and given the fact that he was going to be going up against Williams, Juan Erie guys with Oregon guys committed to Oregon guys, you know, who had Alabama offers. I thought Caden was going to struggle a lot more than he did. And the fact that he held his own was, was pretty impressive. And then at sharp, you know, the field wasn't quite as good. Caden looked like you would expect and or hope a guy of his recruiting pedigree would. And so he he's a really good player. You know, I think he's actually, we haven't listed six, seven there, but I think he's actually measured six, eight at UC report with the six, eight wingspan. So, so this is a, a guy who has the requisite height that, that you're looking for. And, uh, and certainly, you know, the type of guy that that body type isn't everywhere, which is why you see mm-hmm. people coming from, sort of all around the region and even outside of the region to, to see what he has. Well, Kevin, you bring up UC report and I think my favorite, this might be my favorite UC report <laughs> story I might ever have. It, it's that Caden on his first rep goes up against a guy that is from Chicago, has an Alabama offer, like yep. great athlete, highly coveted recruit. And he cooks Caden just dusted him. The next rep Caden comes back, beats him. I don't think he lost another rep. And then you go and talk to Caden afterwards. I did an interview yep. with him um, afterwards. You're like, hey, like, you know who that first guy you went up against was, right? He's like, what? No. Like, who? And you kind of explain. He's like, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. But I just <laughs> think it's kind of that ability to learn on the fly that I think is so impressive where I think you mentioned, right, you're concerned, okay, he's going to be able to hold his own. And maybe he didn't hold his own on the first rep, but once he knew what he was up against, he was able to kind of raise his level and meet that level. And I think you want to talk about ability, right? the natural ability he has and then that mentality to okay i got beat i'm gonna come back and try and beat him this time i think that's really impressive so i'll let again either one of you have the last word on caden before we move on the list go for it. well and that that right there what you guys were talking about as far as like his competition level 
And uh, again, Michael, not realizing like who he's doing this against is why I think it's led us to believe again, without a lot of knowledge, because Caden's been a, a, he's very calculated in, in what he says and he's very well-spoken. Um, yeah. So it's been hard again to kind of read between the lines here, but I think that is why most of us are inching closer towards a Nebraska or an Oklahoma, maybe even an Ole Miss, because I, I think back to Miles Kitzelman, who also came out of Linden yeah. and ended up at Alabama. I think in a lot of times if, when you're from these small towns in Kansas, uh, a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to an Oklahoma or an Alabama mm. or a Nebraska. And so the K-State, KU avenues are viewed as almost like an easy way out in a way. It's like everywhere you turn, those flags are flying in everybody's yard, but you you can become an even bigger kind of superstar. Not that Caden is interested in stature and you know being on a pedestal, but I think there's something to be said about being the guy that kind of not only gets out of Linden to go to like a Manhattan or a Lawrence, but to go to a Norman or a Tuscaloosa or a Lincoln. So I think that is one of the things that I'm truly fascinated to see um, once his decision is made, um, you know, how even it, it really was at the end for him to try and decide. I totally agree. And Ryan, let's get into your neck of the woods here. We've got two guys that are local players, but already committed to Kansas state. Um, I can start off with John price because I've seen him in person. Um, I watched um, blue Valley take on Shawnee mission North West. Oh man. I can't remember now, but it was in the playoffs. Just team, colors. Team, team color swing. What were the team colors? Oh, red and white. Shawnee uh, mission North. North. Yeah. North. There you go. Thank you. See, I, I should remember that stuff, but whatever. <laughs> um, John was awesome. I mean, you want to talk about juice when a guy runs, like he has it. And I just think the vision, the physicality, the mindset, just things you want to see in a running back. And I think K-State's getting a great player here and a great person too. You know, we all got the chance to sit down and talk with them. And he's soft-spoken, but I just respectful. Seems like a, a good human in general and has a great story that I'm sure someone will tell someday. Um, I just – I like the kid. I like the player. I think K-State's getting a really, really good one. Um, Ryan, what are you seeing here? Yeah, uh, for anybody that's interested in learning more about that story, you know, I dived into it a little bit, uh, went back after a couple days after he committed in April and did um, an audio interview kind of podcast with John, which I did not think about the technical side of it when I went into it. <laughs> so uh, his sound is, is horrid. That's on me. But you can still hear uh, the passion in his voice and everything he, every hurdle he's had to go over uh, and overcome. I'm, I'm thrilled about where he is right now just in his not only life, but in what he's become as a football player and what he plans on doing this fall, which I think has set the state ablaze. Guys, I'll just be honest. I mean, he's a K-State commit, and I find myself not even talking about him enough. Um, yeah. You know, we have him right now as like a top three kid in the state. And it wouldn't surprise me in the least if it's, you know, Boganowski and him, you know, back and forth trying to get the number one spot come fall. Um, when I'll be honest with you guys, when he started popping off offers last fall, I didn't know a whole lot about him. Um, I knew Lincoln Prep spoke really highly of him. So I was like, I need to go out and, and kind of get this measure this for, you know, whatever my eye value is. And I got out there and he was really elusive. But I remember telling you guys, I guess I don't see what all the interest is because he's only like 175 pounds. 
And mm-hmm. then we learn more about his story and that he really wasn't, you know, mentally or physically himself. This is a guy that typically plays at 190, you know, yep. maybe even 195. And then the light bulb went off where I'm like, okay, now you look at the the dynamic guy that I saw and add that weight to go with this aggressive approach that he takes with the football. Kevin, I'll send it to you. You were talking about Michael Boganowski as a missile. John yeah. Price, uh, I mean, uh, Alan Terrell, his head coach at Blue Valley, mentioned Isaiah Pacheco. He is an angry, oh. angry runner. I and I mean, this is, the, this is probably the first guy I can think of in the Chris Kleiman era that K-State will have had that, you know, DJ Giddens is a bigger runner. You know, he's a physical yeah. runner. This is an every down kind of back that can give you some make you miss, but also put his head down. And I'm not sure Kleiman has had that at K-State. Yeah, he's a he's a really interesting guy. And when we saw him, he had he had filled back out, you know, from what he had played at. And, you know, physically he and, and you add it to the tape. Uh, this is going to sound like kind of a funny comment, but he, he kind of looks almost like he's from central casting for a football show. Like <laughs> yeah. if you threw him in as like Smash Williams or something on Friday night lights, or you put him on like varsity blues as the running back. And he runs that way too. You know, he's got that explosiveness. You get some of the high step before contact sometimes where he's kind of gauging a guy and seeing about, Hey, I'm going to put my pad into your chest. You know, he's a really exciting runner. I, I think, and he's, he's the type of guy that I think when you, when you talk about Pacheco, he's somebody that, elevates that entire offense everybody gets excited to play with him because of the way the energy that he expends when he carries the ball and I think you see some of that with John and especially with John when he's fully healthy when he's filled out physically the way that he is now well like Ryan was saying you know you're you're almost tempted to to kind of think of him more as a physical back but he's not a DJ Giddens because Giddens is more of a I don't want to say four yards in a cloud of dust because I don't want to limit him. But Price is somebody that has that home run potential in addition to the physicality that he can run with. I mean, I I don't want to – I almost don't want to say it, but I've already begun speaking, so now I need to finish (laughs) my sentence. And this is not a John Price can get to the – will be this or can even get to this level because this is enormous praise. But I'm speaking specifically stylistically – there's some Adrian Peterson to his game in the, again, the way that he runs, he's not as tall or as long as AD, uh, AD was, but um, th- there's a lot of that in his game because I think that was again, a running back that in the big 12 could, you know, lay the wood or make you miss just as easy. So I'm again, I w- Swain, I'll send it back to you and you already mm-hmm. know this, but for those that, that aren't aware, not only did John, you know, play not all there, in his mind and, and in his body, but also played about half of Blue Valley's games and about half of those games that he played. Because in those games that he did play, it was like, well, there was a concussion or, you know, there was a nagging something with his foot or, he, you know, he got ejected for something or whatever. So, I mean, there were games that he played that he wasn't even able to finish and he <laughs> still finishes at a thousand yard rusher. So I'm kind of starting to wonder what are we going to see this fall and on top of that, in this day and age of recruiting, Swain, is K-State going to have to make sure that that he's solid with them? Would not yep. stun me in the least if we see some bigger names try and, you know, come in and steal this one. 
Exactly. Right. And I think that's the thing with modern day recruiting. And obviously he'll take a summer official visit, but the way the visit landscape works now where recruits can take unlimited official visits. You can think about a, a landscape where, Hey, maybe this fall, if he does blow up, do more schools come in and offer him? If Oklahoma misses on some guys, does, you know, DeMarco Murray come in and extend him an offer? Does LSU, does another one of these big time programs come in and, and look, you know, coach Kleiman and, and the entire K-State staff can have developed an incredible relationship with him. But you mentioned with Caden Massey, I think sometimes too, some of these bigger programs, they still have that, that cachet with them, right? Going and playing for one of those big teams, it, it's different. And I just wonder, and I think he's going to have a big fall. I think that there's no doubt about that if he can stay healthy. And then it's the question of who comes calling or is he the type of guy too that shuts it down? Because there are some guys that just say, I'm good. I don't want to do recruiting anymore. I'm good. I don't want coaches calling me, bothering me all week. I'm good. I'm fascinated to see. I have no idea what he's going to be like or what the landscape is going to be like, but he's one that I think is going to have a huge, huge fall. Yeah. And then, all right, let's move on to another K-State commit. Maybe we can – I'll let you two talk about Gus Hawk. Uh, here, I was going to say, here gonna, we go. Here we go. I have a feeling we have a first-take level debate oh, of like gosh. prime Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp – or uh, Skip Bayless and a Stephen A. Smith, not Shannon Sharp, uh, coming here. Because I know Gus Hawkins and Caden Massey is a debate that you two have had. I'll let Kevin go first. Um, Gus Hawkins, I think you look at him, right, and you say he's got the length. He's got the athleticism. Maybe does he have the size to put it on? Just what do you see from Gus, and, and just what do you think about maybe weighing who the top offensive tackle prospect is in the state? Yeah, and if anybody knows offensive linemen from Mill Valley, it's it's Kansas State. You know, <laughs> they've got a uh, got a guy in Hecht that uh, that they went ahead and took is is a, a preferred walk on, right, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. That, that's you know pushing toward the two deep, and and he was a guy that Ryan and I saw in person, and you questioned whether he would be able to add the weight. You know, his family was kind of slender too, and and had that issue, but you never questioned the ability with hacked. I mean, you, you said, Hey, this guy is textbook, what you want in terms of, you know, the, the form, the function, all the different things that he does. And, and it's interesting because I think when you look at mill Valley, now they have a really, really, really good offensive tackle named Mason Kemp, who unfortunately is determined to play basketball. And, and we're not going to talk about that and get into that because I'm just going to raise my voice. But, but he, he's a guy that, that has a lot of ability and, you know, you, you look at Gus and, and I think when you go and see Mill Valley in person, it's not that you aren't impressed by Gus because you are, you can see the frame, you can see that he moves, you know, pretty well for, for his size and everything. But I, I think Kemp is kind of the guy that jumps maybe a little bit more at you, even though he, he has less, less bulk to him because he wants to play basketball and things like that. It's no secret I've always been on the Massey side of this debate, and I, I do understand why it's a debate. you got two guys with great frames, you know, with Power 5 offers and, and all of those different things. Um, I've always been a Caden guy. I think there's a little more agility there. I think the movement skills are a little bit better for Caden. I think uh, maybe I'm wrong, and, and I'll, I'll leave it off to Ryan. I think Ryan actually likes – Hawkins from maybe more of a, a strength um, toughness and, and where he's at right now, as opposed to 
where he might be in three years standpoint. Ryan, what's what's your take on, on Gus and and has that changed at all since you know since the spring and everything else? Well, yeah. Let's. I'll start back in the fall. I I, I made it a point to see these guys back to back. And I went and saw, mm. went down to Linden, drove down there, saw Caden. And then very next Friday, I went to, uh, it was the semi, 5A semifinal game that, that Mill Valley had against Blue Valley Southwest. And I saw Gus Hawkins. So, I mean, they were both a fresh comparison. And I came away from that thinking that Gus Hawkins just had a little bit more, um, I'm, I'm just going to say it, Swain, get the edit button ready, a little bit more prick to him. Um, and and you, get in, you get him in the trenches and you have uh, the, the feet never stop moving. He's it, it's it's interesting because he's kind of a goofy guy. And when you talk to him, he's very loose. He's not as calculated, you know, as, as a guy like Caden is. But then you get him in the trenches and he's like a Jekyll and Hyde type guy where he's yep. just mean and nasty. And I didn't see that as much from Caden at a level that you would expect a six, seven, 270 guy person to do that um sure and and so i came away from that thinking well even though they're both projects even though maybe caden might even be a little bit more technically sound in his footwork and things like that i'm already seeing the development of gus and like that coming from cimarron as like a tight end basketball guy to like uh eight months at mill valley becoming a true offensive tackle the the strength is coming on the weight is coming on and i'm seeing a little bit of a quicker progression where i'm going all right maybe gus actually even though maybe the floor is a little bit lower for where he is now maybe overall and you give it a year or two he might pass caden and so i've always been on the gus side which brings me to present day (laughs) i haven't seen gus since yeah. Um, and it's disappointing because we've had a couple different opportunities that you see report. Um, didn't expect him to, to see him at sharp, but then maybe at K-State's O-line D-line camp. But then Caden is taking an official visit that weekend. So we just haven't been able to see both of them in action. And I haven't seen Gus since the fall. And so I think Caden's taken steps. And Caden said, okay, I'm uncommitted. Gus is. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I'm going to put myself out there against the best competition. Um, and, you know, for one reason or another, we just haven't seen it from Gus. I, I, I still like Gus. There's something that I'm drawn to about mean, nasty alignment. I, I feel like Kevin, as I send it back to you, in my time recruiting over a decade, it just seems like the guys that can uh, that can flip a switch on their own, you know, that don't need any added push – to be mean, to be the aggressor. There's just something I like about that. And it seems like it transitions better to college. Um, maybe Caden's able to turn that on. Um, but that, that to me is why I've always been a Gus guy, even before the K-State commitment. Sure. We've seen some guys come through the state who have been what you would want from a frame standpoint, but they've been softer guys, sort of gentle giants or whatever. And then, you know, a guy that K-State fans are very familiar with, a guy like Scott France, you go out and see him on a Friday night, and it was almost like France wanted to suplex the guy he was he was going up against. And, and Scott goes on to a very good career at, at Kansas State. And so I do see where you're coming from with that. I, I think the other thing, too, Mill Valley is such a good program with Coach Appleby there. It's maybe the best weights program 
uh, in the state of Kansas when you look at them and and maybe Derby, I would say. I was going to say Coach Clark is 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 obviously very, very good. Um, But their their weights program is tremendous. You knew Gus would continue to kind of work on that body and improve and everything. All, All credit to Gus, like Ryan says, you know, we haven't, we haven't seen him since the fall when both of us saw him in person at the same time, he is significantly bigger from a weight body standpoint, all of those things he's putting in the work, you know, in the shadows, so to speak, that you want to see a a top prospect do. And so I'm interested to see him both this summer. And then I'm sure we'll, we'll get out and see Gus in person this fall too. I'm willing to say this guys, Uh, I'm willing after the spring to see, why Caden Massey's upside, why the ceiling might be higher, mm-hmm. right? And I think yep. last fall I was, I, I was very argumentative in, in <laughs> seeing the, the ceiling there, right? I do see why Caden Massey is deemed to have the higher ceiling. I've always been from the evaluating standpoint of let me see not only where your ceiling is, but also where your floor is sure. and, and maybe how far the distance is between the two. And to me, again, uh, we'll, we'll see once I see Gus again. But to me, the distance has always been a little bit more narrow for Gus than it is for Caden, even if the ceiling's a little bit higher for Massey. I love it. So let's move on to our, our final guy we'll talk about, and then we'll maybe give some some final thoughts and maybe answer a question. Um, Brett Carroll from Olathe East. <laughs> this is a guy that – has really come on, right? If Gavin Hoffman is probably our, our biggest riser, I think probably the second biggest riser this spring has to be Brett Carroll. His own recruitment has taken off, and it felt like there was just one week there where basically all the offers came in, right? I believe Texas Tech and Oklahoma State were first, and then programs like Illinois, Minnesota came in, K-State came in, I believe, or I might be wrong on that one. Um, but his recruitment has blown up now. And Kevin, I know you've got connections to – coaches outside of the state of Kansas and they talk to you about some of these guys. What's the word been on, on Brett Carroll and then Ryan, we'll have you talk about kind of K-State's pursuit after. Yeah. The feeling from a couple different power five staffs is if you took Brett Carroll and, and dropped him in Dallas or Houston or Chicago or some other major metro area, you'd be talking about about a national recruit. You know, when you look at the body that he has, he's got a six foot eight wingspan, you know, with that size. And so while, while he projects as an interior guy, he's an interior guy with some length. And then you look at it, multi-sport athletes, right? Coaches love those guys for multiple reasons. One, they love to see guys be competitive at more than just football Two, They love the athleticism and the different motions and things you do in different sports. Brett Carroll lost the state wrestling title by this much last year to Sebastian Lopez, who's a guy that Ryan and I saw at Sharp, I think, a big, you know, sort of broad barrel center from uh, from Garden City, you know, really good wrestler, probably a better wrestler than football player. And Carroll lost it, you know, in sort of the last gasp. Comes back this year. Uh, he's beating Lopez. Lopez tries the same move that he beat him on last year. This time, Carroll's prepared for it. He pins Lopez, wins the state title in wrestling. So you're saying, okay, a 285-pound guy, 290-pound guy with a 6'8 wingspan who's a state champion wrestler, I can do something with that. Except that then he goes out and throws almost 57 feet in the shot put. And so when when you add all of that together, it's kind of – 
all coming together. And, and when you look at, and I, I feel awful, I'm already blanking on a guy's name who was in last year's class, interior lineman out of Topeka. Joe Otting. Out of Hayden, yeah. There we go. When you look at Joe Otting, there was a debate that the three of us would have, and we wouldn't necessarily debate each other because I think we were on the same side. But Otting was so good as an interior lineman that it gave him value, I thought, over the state, some of the state's best offensive tackles, even though there was uh, more positional value, obviously, to being an offensive tackle than an interior lineman because Otting was just that good. And I think Carroll is starting to get to a spot, and I'm interested to hear if Ryan feels the same way. I'm not necessarily saying he's Otting because they're different players even within you know being interior linemen, but I think he's reaching sort of that same point where you're starting to say, okay, is he good enough as an interior guy that he can jump some of the guys that are the state's best offensive tackles from a positional value standpoint? And, and I think there's a possibility that maybe he can. I think so, and I'll even go a step further. From a positional value standpoint, there are people around the Olathe East program that think he's an even better defensive lineman than he is an offensive lineman. Um, so, I mean, here's a guy that could potentially, uh, and word is that K-State has left that door open anyway, um, whether Brett wants to hear that or not, is <laughs> that's kind of been the, the debate, it, to, to being maybe, uh, you know, starting on offensive line, but not, you know, leaving the door open to playing defense as well. Uh, Kevin mentioned it. I mean, he, this is not only just a state champion wrestler. I mean, he set state records in Kansas as a junior he still is going to wrestle I believe as a senior so uh I mean he's set I think it was points and pins or wins something along those lines to set the state record right I think Lopez I think Lopez is actually a 24 as well right so I think that they could meet for the state heavyweight title for a third straight third time yeah but Brett is uh it's interesting because each January or December um, it seems like Kevin and I and, and Swain will loop you into this too. We're <laughs> going through huddle. I mean, we are in the huddle tunnel, whether it be, you know, from Garden City all the way to Olathe East. And I remember going into Olathe East wanting to see huddle of a different player. And I messaged you, Kevin, uh, on the side and was like, there's a guy that we might want to look at here. Because again, there's a nastiness about Brett Carroll and you yeah. see the footwork and the way that he understands the balance in, in um, you know, playing, you know, not on his heels and not too far on his toes. It's all from a wrestling background. And then you see him go out and do what he did at the UC report. Uh, this guy's stock is going way up. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Again, I talked about it with Price. If Brett Carroll doesn't, you know, go out and ascend into the top five, he's kind of flirting with it right now. He very well could. And I I really think, you know, K-State, when it comes to their pursuit, Swain, they, I I think from their longstanding history with Kyle Rakers, kind of put him above Brett Carroll. They knew about him for longer. They they established that relationship for longer. And Kyle Rakers is a guy that they viewed as their interior offensive lineman, a future center at that. Mm -hmm. And then Brett Carroll ends up blowing up that I don't think K-State or really anybody in the state was expecting to that quickly. Um, and K-State kind of had to, you know, get everything together, decide whether they're going to offer, and they did. And, and honestly, I, I don't know if it was too little too late. 
Um, but clearly with his visit list, it, it seems that they might have missed the boat and preferred Rakers over Carroll. Uh, Kyle Rakers is a good player. I wonder, though, from an in-state standpoint, again, when guys leave the state, we all remember those names when they go on and do well. Yeah. If Brett Carroll might not be a name, Michael, that, you know, K-State, KU come back and look at their coaching staffs and go, where were we on this? Because he might be one of those guys that they're kicking themselves in a couple years. Yeah, and I, you mentioned Kyle Rakers. I'll, I'll raise you a Harrison Utley, right? That's, I think, the, the same yeah. comp for Kansas, where Harrison Utley from Oklahoma is a guy that KU's been to see twice in person. They had him up on campus twice. They have a really long-standing relationship. I mean, we're talking back to, like, last September in terms of a relationship. And Andy Kordonecki recruits recruits locally for Kansas. We heard about how good of a job he does. They've been – too early at the East. They've seen Brett Carroll in person. They have access to all that UC report camp tape too. They have all the information and they've decided not to offer. It's a decision. And it's one of these situations where, again, we talked about with Gavin Hoffman, where the coaching staff, they have their evaluation, they stick to their guns. And I, it's just a decision they make and we'll see long-term who's right. And that's the thing about it. it this is a five-year game, right? That we're not going to yep. know. Yep. So, I think you look at the ability, right? I love it. I mean, I, I remember seeing him at, at the UC report camp and like you watch him walk around and he, he just, the, he, I think Kevin, you mentioned it, right? Barrel chested. It looks yeah. like he's wearing shoulder pads when he's <laughs> not wearing shoulder pads. Like he's just a big dude that looks like an offensive lineman that can maul you. And I, I like it. I like the ability. I, I like what I saw at UC report. And I think he's the type of guy that could go to Oklahoma state and have a ton of success there. Right. How many times have, has Oklahoma state taken a guy like this that has the measurables um, that maybe rises a little bit late and then turns out to be a, a really quality starter. So I think whoever's going to get Brett Carroll, is getting a really good player. Um, I'm really fascinated to see how the recruitment shakes out because obviously big 10 schools in on him and big 12 schools, you know, where does he maybe fit better in terms of his overall ability at a conference? If you're Oklahoma state, you know, Charlie Dickey, as you mentioned, he's come up, he's gotten Tevin Jenkins. Yep. He's gotten Joe Machalski. Um, if you're Charlie Dickey, not only do you want Brett Carroll, and I, I'm with you, Swain, when I'm looking at the list of his offers, they seem to jump out as one that would make a lot of sense that he could thrive in. But also, if you're Mike, if you're Charlie Dickey, are you going into Mike Gundy's office and saying, if if we can get this kid, will you let him play wrestling? Or, or, or you know, will you let him wrestle oh. too? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. that I might be that. the ace in the hole. Uh, Illinois wrestles. I believe Minnesota, I would think, have has a wrestling program as well. Most of the Big Ten schools do. Um, but I, I wonder if that might not be something up their sleeve. Mike Gundy probably doesn't want to do it. But if it gets you a guy like Brett Carroll, God, I might explore that avenue as an ace up your sleeve. Yeah. 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 That's that's a good point. One, one of my favorite raps that you see report by any player you know, our, our coaches back in the leather helmet days used to say the bench press was almost worthless, right? Because if a guy gets into your chest, you're pretty much done. He's got all the power. He's got your momentum. He can put, he can, you know, basically put you wherever he wants to put you. Guy got into Brett Carroll's chest and Brett Carroll didn't move. I don't know that he moved back a foot. I don't know that he moved back an inch. You know, he got into his chest, tried to bull him and, you know, Carol just sort of reset and, you know, stonewalled the guy. And mm. look at 
when you look at the core strength, when you look at the length for an interior guy, when you look at the multi-sport record there, there are a lot of reasons to be really optimistic about Brett Carroll. Yeah, most definitely. All right. We'll wrap up here with the question. We've been going for over an hour. Um, we wanted <laughs> for full context, we wanted to make this 35, 45 minutes max. Here Wait, we are. Swain over, always goes over an into hour. Ryan, these podcasts, and Swain's always like, let's keep this one to 20 minutes on the dot, or let's keep this one to 30 minutes or 32 minutes. And Swain, have we hit once yet? I think, I think once we did it, and I got a text from one of our uh, higher-ups at, at 24-7 saying, <laughs> good job on that podcast, keeping it shorter for people. Well, folks, you're going to have to re- commute twice to, to get through this one, yeah. and we appreciate yeah. it. But I want to wrap up with a question. Um, I'm sure we'll do a Q&A later on because I know there's a lot of questions about guys and the way we do things and the evaluation process. But I, I really thought this was interesting. This is from the, the Kansas State message board, Ryan. You, you brought this up. Um the question is local recruits seem to be getting more exposure and respect from the national recruiting databases. What is the leading cause? Um, Kevin, I know you have thought about this. I'll let you go first. I have a a comparison I'll make later, but Kevin thoughts. Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. Are players getting better in the state? I don't think there's any question about that. I, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I played with a guy who had, a double digit NFL career in Ryan Lilja who played at, at Kansas state. And so when I was in high school, and so I remember what Ryan looked like as a high school guy, I played with another guy who was a multi-year division one starter. And I remember what that guy looked like and they were offensive linemen true, but they didn't look like Jaron Canick. And, you know, they didn't, the guys that we played against, didn't look like Michael Boganowski and they didn't look like some of these guys that, that we're seeing now. And so some of that is physical training guys, knowing a little bit better what to do with their bodies. Some of it is, is training overall has gotten better across the state. I think exposure has gotten so much better across the state. You know, we, we talked about sharp earlier, you know, obviously, Ryan, on the Kansas City side, we get a lot more camps and things like that. It seems like every other weekend from April through May, you know, we we have something where we can go and see these guys. And and that's on the Kansas side and the Kansas City side. I also think, and this is going to sound kind of funny maybe, but I think that we're getting better at our jobs than we used to be too. I, I think when you look at, Kansas's Orange Bowl team in 2007. <laughs> uh, there was a guy named Chet Hartley who started on the offensive line. And, you know, he was a guy that, you know, played at Kingman, Kansas. And he went to Butler for two years, came out of Butler, had an offer from KU and an offer from Florida State. And he chose to play at KU, started right away on the Orange Bowl team. And the reason I bring that up is when you look at the way that Kansas recruits and the way that Kansas State recruits, and especially the way that offensive line is evaluated, you're projecting that guy three years down the line. And so was it that Chet Hartley wasn't good enough to go to Kansas or Kansas State out of high school? Was it that we didn't, you know, that we didn't do our jobs enough? If he was that good in his third year out of high school, you know, chances are he was always going to be that good or that he was on that track and we didn't know enough about him at the time. Now I think if Chet were to come along and maybe I'm totally off on this, 
but I tend to think we probably would see him as a sophomore and, or we'd know about him as a sophomore and we'd see him as a junior and we'd see him at a camp setting and we'd get a chance to evaluate him and maybe we'd see him at a game in person. And so I do think that players are more exposed now for, for better or worse guys that we saw in the mid to late 2000s to 2010s who wound up not working out that we thought were really good at the time and and weren't I feel like we're also weeding those guys out maybe a little bit earlier in the process and and getting measurements on guys and things like that Mm -hmm. but I I do think it's a it's a combination of things I, I do think though overall that Kansas is producing more talent now and better talent now than than maybe what it did you know 15 years ago or so Ryan. No doubt. No doubt. I, I mean, a number of different things, just again, piggybacking on what Kevin said, I think we're getting out more. We're able to yep. see them because there are more events that are allowing us to come, but also, you know, we want to go see guys. I mean, there were so many years going back to like, you know, the Jarrell Moreau's of the world. Like I never right. got to see him, you know, and um, some of that is on me. Some of that is on, again, the landscape of Kansas, not having enough assets and events for us to run into those guys. And so you never really got accurate stuff. And so I think on that hand, I think we're getting better at our jobs. It's allowing coaches to see them more college coaches. Obviously there's a thing called huddle, which didn't exist, you know, years ago. And just like that applies in Texas, that applies in Kansas. But the other thing that I'm noticing too, Kevin, is I think there's a difference between, you know, being a multi-sport athlete and being, you know, playing multi-sports, but having a central focus. Um, I remember being in high school and like the best guys on the basketball team were also the best players on the football team. And that still happens from time to time, but you're starting to see more and more guys that are like, you know, like say there's a, you know, a Michael Boganowski or BJ Kennedy that play basketball, but they might be on the bench, you know, because there are guys that are legit basketball players. This is what I do you know 365 days a year and I'm going to play and those guys are now doing it to be in shape or those guys are running track because it's going to help them in football in some way shape yeah. or form not because like oh I'm really good at track and I'm just like out here doing it there's a focus for it and there's a yeah. reason for it all now and I would also argue too that having uh the Bishop Miages going down to 4A having Derby yeah. and Mill Valley rise up in 6A and 5A it's raised everybody up. It's forced everybody to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. And so again, getting back to like a Brett Carroll and or Gus Hawkins, the weight room stuff has increased. The personal training stuff has increased because of that. Um, I, I just think that there's been more focus put on football overall, even with something like seven on seven, that you're just getting more of a polished product than we used to see out of the state, Michael. Well, and look, this is also without Kansas having spring football. Think about that, right? Think about all all the college staffs, right? They go to Florida. They go to Georgia. They go to Texas. They go see all these guys. They're getting the extra month, you know, six weeks of practice, and these guys aren't getting it. And I think overall, the data points, there's so many more along the way that you can track someone's progression. You can also track regression. And I think track yeah. is a great one that with no spring football, you see these guys run track, right? Does Jaron Canick end up with all his offers if he's not out here running insane track times, <laughs> right? That gets him on the radar in terms of getting verified yeah. speed. 
And I think some of that helps these ratings be so much more accurate than, oh, that guy looks fast on huddle, you know, but what is it right. worth? Who's he really, play? you know, they can't use those arguments. You know, you can't say, oh, well, who is he playing against? Well, look at the track time, you know, running, you know, a, an 11 second hundred is the same in Kansas as it is in Michigan and as it is in Florida. Right. And so I think all of these things allow the recruiting, you know, analysts, departments, whatever, to be more accurate. And I look at a state like Iowa, too, because I think Kansas and Iowa are, are, are kind of similar in this, where Iowa just had two five star recruits. Right. Xavier and Wong and Caden Proctor. That comes as a result of obviously genetics, but training. <laughs> Think of how many training facilities there are now in the Kansas City area, yeah. even throughout Kansas, going to Wichita. A lot of places where guys can go and train from a young age, really hone their craft. Were those around 10, 15 years ago, right? The overall health and ability, right? It's easier nutritionally to know what you're doing nowadays, right? It's much more in maybe the conscious mind of, all right, what am I putting in my body? All these things. I think all that comes together to make maybe a more aware football recruit where if you know you have a chance to be recruited in football, I think a lot of kids these days are going to put everything in to making sure that that happens. And I just don't know if maybe that was in the conscious as much 10, 15 years ago. And so I think as a result, it's yielded this state that is blossoming in terms of talent where we're looking at the state saying, this is probably a down year and what they're going to be nine guys that go to power five schools, maybe like I mean, it's pretty incredible in terms of just the overall, you know, number of guys that you're looking at and saying those guys are division one guys. And even the, the narrow power five guys, you're still looking at it, right? You know, Gavin Hoffman was what ranked number seven earlier this week, and he's going to go to a power five school. Like there are a ton of guys now that are going to go on and play power five football. And this is a down cycle. And I think that just shows the amount of talent yeah. pool that yeah. really increased. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you look at, 2025 and we know about some of those guys who are already national recruits and and i i'm not trying to stretch this podcast any longer and and we'll and we'll get into that but i'm just saying Mm -hmm. how many times have you been able to say kansas is going to have multiple national recruits but you're saying it a year out you're not saying it you know for this year you're saying hey these guys haven't even played their junior years of football yet and they're getting the national attention and and we're not just talking about two guys either. You know, when you're talking about, you know, Jaden Woods and Babalola and Juju Marks and guys like this, you know, guys are getting national offers. There could be four or five national type recruits in that 2025 class that we already know about. We've already seen in person. A lot of these guys we've already gotten stopwatches on, you know, and things yeah. like that. And so it, it's changed quite a bit, I would say, since uh, it, over the years. Yeah. Ryan, do you, you want the final word on the podcast? Oh, I mean, I guess the only other thing I would say is, again, going back to this topic, you know, it's come up a little bit on the message boards lately because of the Brett Carroll's and the Gavin Hoffman's yeah. and people that are like, hey, I, I thought you said this is going to be a down cycle. <laughs> and I would I would say, like you said, Swain, it, it is um, because Kansas has raised the bar. Um, so, you know, again, a lot of these guys are going to go to power five, you know, schools, they're just a little bit more projects than we saw in 23 and like we'll see in 25, but you know, Kansas is no longer a a two to three guy state, you know, a down year can be a year like we're seeing right now because the good years are that good. 
Exactly. Exactly. Well, that'll do it for the first episode of the Sunflower State Recruiting Podcast. Um, we'll be back in probably, I'd assume, about 10 days because I know I'm going to see Andrew Babaloa in camp. I know, I know Ryan's going to be at some camps. Kevin will be there I with me two. as well. You got two camps. He's double dipping. So oh, we'll have man. plenty to talk about and we'll dive into kind of the next cycle. And then as we get into August, we'll do some, or July and August, we'll do some Q and A's. We'll do some looking back, some looking ahead, maybe highlighting some of the more fringe guys. Maybe they're borderline D1. Get some of those guys some attention as well. So thank you as always for listening. As always, stay tuned to gopowercat.com, fog.net for Kansas State and Kansas specific coverage for Kevin Flaherty, Ryan Wallace. I'm Michael Swain. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon.